Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. So getting started on our second season here, we are going to be blessed with Ryan Harris coming to join us today. And I hope you guys are ready for this. He is a former NFL football player, played about 10 years in the league and won a Super Bowl in 2015. So we are going to get to him very, very quickly. Wanted to do some housekeeping items and give you guys some updates about what's going on. The Minority Money merch store will be open. It will be open when this episode drops. So I just want to make sure you guys are ready. We have some great looking stuff. We will put links to that in the show notes for this show. And I'm excited. I hope you guys like it. Looking forward to your feedback. Some of you know that I just took a cross-country motorcycle trip. We just went to Little Rock, Arkansas from California. It was seven days, 4,000 miles, five states, and I'm beat. <laughs> but it was fun. I would do it again. We're looking to plan a trip next year, going all the way to Florida. So yeah, it's exciting. We're trying to get all 48 states knocked out. So just want to let you guys know that we are back safe and sound. And hopefully some of you guys may have followed me on social media and seen some of the pictures we posted. If you didn't, you can definitely follow me there on stuff that we're doing. But without further ado, let's jump right in to this conversation with Ryan Harris. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Emlyn. Great to be here again. Thank you for having these conversations and giving us such insight into the wide world of wealth. Man, thank you. You know, I just try to do what I can do when I can do it. <laughs> that's, that's what the saying is. But I mean, I've been meaning to reach out to you. So when we start talking via email, that was awesome because you've been on my radar. I was like, I need to get to him. I need to get to him because I had talked to you. I had heard you on Desarte's podcast. And like we talked about before, that's one of my buddies. So when I heard you on there, I was like, oh, we got to get him on. We got to get him on. And then everything worked out. And so we were able to get you on. So I told everybody that you played for the Broncos. You played for a couple other teams. You guys won the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl with the Broncos in 2015. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, man. Born and raised in St. Paul, Minnesota. I went to Notre Dame, got two degrees in three and a half years. And then I got drafted by the Broncos 2007. Got fired by the Broncos 2011. I went to play in Houston for two years, Kansas City for a year then came back to Denver, started all 19 games. We won the Super Bowl, an incredible year, the golden Super Bowl, the only Super Bowl ring with numbers on it, Mm. and then played for the Pittsburgh Steelers my final year and also do broadcasting. I'm here in Denver, got a weekday radio show talking sports at I2.5 and also do Notre Dame football's radio broadcast and I do some Monday night football radio broadcast. We'll see if that happens this year, but staying busy and do a lot of corporate speaking events and nonprofit speaking events. Awesome, man. That's awesome. Always love to see the career after the career when we have athletes go on and, and to see you being able to get your hands in so many different things and these opportunities to speak and write in the book. And I want to definitely get into that. So I know you're really, really big on mindset. Yeah. Like mindset is something really, really big for you. So talk to us about mindset. Why do you feel like that's so important? Well, you know, in winning the Super Bowl, I really realized the only thing that is the difference between winning and losing at the highest level is your mindset, what you're willing to overcome. Do you know why you're there? Are you willing to let go of distractions? Can you recognize distractions? And I also bring that financially too. You know, I had to change my mindset financially. And I was, after making $1.2 million in the NFL, my first two years, I was 30 grand in debt. Mm -hmm. I had to change my mindset about what money meant, what wealth looked like, what I wanted to do with my money. But I always say your mindset consists of three simple beliefs. 
I am, I can, I will. And I use that in my 10-year NFL career. I've had nine surgeries, three on my back, one on my toe, and I had to have five to save my leg below my left knee. And it was my mindset that kept me coming back every time. It was my mindset after playing for the Chiefs and starting 15 games, playing in all 16 for them. They said, Ryan, we don't think you got any football left. Well, I am someone who can help win a championship. I can prepare to win a championship. I will help a team win a championship. And Sure enough, I did the next year. I mean, there are 1,600 players every year in the NFL, and not all of them are great, but only 53 will become champions. And it all has to do with mindset because there's talent everywhere. But what you do with it, what you're willing to overcome, how you're willing to frame failure is all the difference in your success. To me, there's so many different gems in there that we can pick out. We're going to go back to the first one, though, when you said you made $1.2 million in your first two years in the league and we're $30,000 in debt. Yeah. And the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, you have a couple more zeros just because you played in the NFL, but how did you overcome that? Like at what point in time when you're making all the more money than you know what to do with, I'm sure. How do you overcome that? Like, how did you overcome that mindset trap? And then we'll get into some of the other ones. Well, I started reaching out to the wealthy people around me and I wasn't buying anything extravagant. I bought a used car. I had an apartment, but it was the other things. I gave over $65,000 to my parents, you know what I'm saying, in that time span, untaxed. And those are things that I realized to give $68,000, $65,000, that means I had to make three hundred, dollars right? Because there's 150 in tax, or 100 in taxes, agent fees, living expenses. And my parents were still, they didn't change their station, so to speak, after getting that money. And then helping my sister pay with college. And then at one point, she just called me. I told her, hey, what's it going to look like this year? She's like, oh, we don't have to worry about it. They're not going to ask us to pay until later. And she called me. She's like, hey, I need X amount of dollars for my college year tomorrow. I'm like, this is not how this works. So I created this expectation around me, like all NFL players do, that I didn't really understand. And I didn't know how to invest. I didn't know how to look at being rich when I'm 50 versus rich when I'm 22 and what goes into that. And I didn't know that the team didn't take out all the taxes they should have. So I got hit with a $60,000 tax bill that I was barely prepared to pay. And so these are the kinds of things that affected me, even though I didn't buy a new car, didn't buy my parents a new car, didn't buy my parents a new house. And so I reached out to people I knew were wealthy. And the first thing I noticed is they all had factory-made cars. They didn't have chains on. They didn't have bright watches, but they did have Cartiers and they did have things that explained their wealth through class. And I just asked questions and I started with $500 in an investment account with Scott Trade. I listened to this guy, Warren Buffett, you know, who was Warren Buffet <laughs> at the time, you know, to me. And the Oracle of Omaha. Yeah, the Oracle, but I thought it was Warren Buffet. I'm like, well, this guy must know something about money if he's got all these buffets. And he said, own what you buy. So I literally bought McDonald's, Chipotle, Google, Apple, and I bought some tires, Goodyear tires. So Emlyn, I forgot about it for a year. And then after kind of going into the season, I was like, well, let me check on that money. Well, Chipotle had jumped 200%. Google is still jumping. You know what I'm saying? And so I realized like, whoa, I can grow my money this way. And so I just invested and I invested and I saved 80% of every $100 I made. And I just lived frugally. And I started saying no to people. I started telling people, we're not going to go to dinner. If you're going to come to town, it's not my job to take you out Friday night, which is a Wednesday in the NFL, mm -hmm. where I don't go and do that to you. Emlyn, if I showed up on a Wednesday like, hey, 
what's there to do in town? You'd be like, what? You know, this is a Wednesday, man. But people do that all the time in the NFL. And one of the struggles for NFL players and really people in life is when you start making money, you want to take care of people. But how you do that really matters. And I can tell you from experience, giving money to people, they blow it. And versus helping my parents pay down their debt is something I wish I would have done earlier versus giving them the money and just being able to make in-kind purchases, but also saying no. I'm 22, 23. I, I lost a friend because I didn't help him pay for his divorce. I didn't give him $15,000. That's not my job as a 23-year-old to pay for your bad decisions. So I had to ruffle some feathers. I had to lose some friends, and I'm grateful I did. You know what? That's crazy because I think you're giving major insight to the listeners. Like you hear people going to the NFL and they do this and they do that. And then being able to hear how you had to navigate that. And it was really conversations. Now, yes. I think those conversations are super important. So that's one thing with the money, but to overcome nine surgeries. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because I think that to me really is something worth talking about because overcoming that and then in the midst of overcoming that, somehow you help the team win a Super Bowl. Yeah. Like you didn't just overcome it, you overcome it to the maximum extent. Talk to us about that. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the biggest turns is your mindset. And it wasn't necessarily just getting over the injuries, right? I mean, after my third back surgery, I was out of the NFL for four months and I just didn't know who I was. I had a loss of identity. So I had to make decisions about who I was. But the biggest issue in coming back, my total toe reconstruction, I got it from a bull rush from Terrell Suggs. And I tried to plant my foot in the ground and my toe, the only thing holding my toe together was my skin. And mm. my first game back was against Terrell Suggs. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. there's this whole aspect that everyone goes through with an injury where you have to be prepared when you're healthy. When I'm healthy, I don't need to favor my toe. When I'm healthy, I can do things that I couldn't do. You know, scar tissue pops and I thought I was breaking my foot, but I wasn't. So I really had to rebuild my courage more than my body so that when my body was healthy, I could perform. And I always tell people as well, your surgeon matters. If you need surgery, don't go to a general surgeon. Don't do that. You know, they're a general surgeon for a reason. They haven't had the skill and practice at a specific thing. So I had very great surgeons, especially Dr. Clanton up in uh, Vail. He basically invented the toe surgery, and he's the best in the world. My final back surgery was done by Dr. Vicarol, the best back surgeon in the world. So who you have as your surgeon matters, but know that any injury you face, you have to rebuild your courage as much as you have to rebuild your body. You know, and as you say that, so I ruptured my Achilles tendon maybe last year. Yeah, it was last March playing basketball. You know, weekend warrior ruptured it. And when I was looking for a surgeon, I didn't want someone that worked on hands. No. I didn't want someone that worked on knees. I didn't want someone that worked on back. I want someone that worked on feet and ankles. And so I went to go see this person. And I'm saying that because I think it's so important as we have these professionals in our life, we need to have these certain, like when you're looking to get surgery to get better, you got to go to a designated professional to do that. that that's not a general practitioner. There's a reason why the anesthesiologist makes more than the general practitioner. Yeah. It's the reason why you don't go to a tax attorney versus an accountant for your taxes, right? I mean, mm -hmm. a tax attorney could probably help you with your taxes, but you need an accountant to help you with your taxes and filings. You know, it's kind of similar. Absolutely. So with that, why do you think financial literacy is so important? I've heard you talk about some things that you had to learn and lessons you learned, but why is that so important? Well, number one, where I was, Sports Illustrated reported a couple of years ago, 78% of NFL players are either bankrupt and chemically dependent or divorced or all three just two years after they're done playing. So the longer I was in the NFL, the more calls I would get about, hey, you know, Ryan, will you buy back my Mercedes Benz? Will you buy my used Louis Vuitton backpack? But I just started realizing that cash flow was far more important than possessions. And I was already kind of a frugal guy, especially after my second year. Like I was, hey, man, we're having 
you know, are you bringing food to the house? Cause ain't no food for you, you know, <laughs> but it's so important because it creates longevity and leverage. And I got two examples in which financial literacy not only made me more money, but gave me more opportunity. After I left the Texans, I went to try out for the Dolphins and they're like, hey, we'll call you in a little bit. We'll let you know. They will end up not calling. Kansas City Chiefs called me. I did a trial for them. They're like, we want to sign you. Well, Miami called and said, well, hey, we heard the Chiefs want to sign you, but we'll offer you $60,000 more. And I'm sitting there. Miami had two first round draft picks at their tackle position. So there wasn't really opportunity there where there was multiple opportunities for the Kansas City Chiefs. And then $60,000 looks and sounds like a lot of money. But when you're moving from Denver to Miami, $60,000 gets spent real quick. I mean, you're really talking about $43,000. And then, oh, by the way, where are you living in Miami? That's probably another 20, even if you're in a two-bedroom apartment. I had, a, I had one since we were expecting my daughter at the time. We have three kids now. And oh, by the way, is it more expensive to eat Miami or Kansas City? So all of a sudden, they were just paying for the move, not even life after the move. And so I said, you know, I'm going to stay in Kansas City. And like we talked about, I started 15 games, played in all 16. And that helped me become a champion the next year with the Broncos. Then I went to the Pittsburgh Steelers and I was financially secure and financially literate. I diversified my portfolio, had income properties versus just a larger property with multiple garages and multiple cars. And they said, hey, here's the deal. And it was $2 million shorter than what I'd asked for and what the market rate was. So I said something that they later told me they'd never heard from a player. I said, I'll go home. And the look on their faces, Emily, was like, what? What did you just say to us? Because people do not know this about the NFL. They are invested in players being broke. Because if I'm broke, I'm taking $60,000 to go to Miami. If I'm broke, I'm taking $2 million less million to go to Pittsburgh because I don't have a choice. But by being financially literate, I gave myself leverage opportunity and I earned more money because I understood the game. I understood what I was worth. And I also understood I didn't have to play football if I didn't want to. And you don't have to sign me if you don't want to. But if you want to, you're going to pay for me. And that's a different type of person, player, and production than anyone else. And that's just the small ways in which being financially sound can help you in so many aspects of life. That makes so much sense because like when you think about it, you said something about cash flow earlier. You said how important cash flow was. Understanding how cash flow worked, you were able to look at the money that this team was going to offer you and be like, this isn't going to fit into my cash flow. So I'm better off staying where I am than just going over here and just to play just for the sake of playing because I need the check. Well, I'm not going to be devalued because I know my value because I know the value of everything in my life, you know, and that's a different mindset. And they would have paid if I had taken that deal. They went laughing at the country club. Man, can you believe Ryan Harris signed for two million less? There's no skin off their back. But look at what they were willing to do if they met somebody at a negotiation. And it was all because I was financially literate and I understood. Emily, how many cars can you drive at the same time? One. How many houses can you live in the same time? One. You and I got motorcycles. How many motorcycles can you ride at the same time? One motorcycle. Yeah, now you may need a road bike and a speedster, but you yes. know, hey, hey, you know? But we get confused, and I just had seen it so many times. Guys who had made tens of millions of dollars absolutely broke, floundering, especially if they get divorced. I mean, you're talking about people taking their 401k. The NFL has a two-to-one matching program up to $11,500, $11, two-to-one when you put the money in. Not only have they not had 100% participation ever by the players, which is shocking and horrible, but now if you get a divorce after you're done playing, they get half the assets and half of your retirement. Mm -hmm. So I just had seen so many people make these assumptions that they would continue to play, that they would make a big deal. And it just didn't happen. It doesn't happen for 99% of the league. Why not take advantage of what you have versus gambling on the future year after year? And like, as you're saying this, I'm thinking this isn't much different than real life. Like Not different at all. We have people, I would look at most 
most young people will covet that six-figure income. I want to make six figures. I want to make six figures. So after you make the six figures and you've had no financial literacy, you make the same mistakes that a lot of the people that you're talking about from the NFL make just with the people in the NFL, guys in the NFL are making this mistake with a couple extra zeros. And so what's happening is like, I think it's back to the financial literacy overall. Like most people have a very limited understanding of financial literacy. So my wife and I, she graduated with a finance degree. I graduated with my degree in accounting and we still made money mistakes. So if we made money mistakes and we have a financial background, she's a bank manager and you know what I do. And we still had some, during Corona, we had some things that we needed to take adjustments. adjustments. Exactly. <laughs> and it started largely with cash flow. We looked at cash flow and then we were able to pay off debts and stuff like that. So I'm saying all that to say this, that people that are making financial mistakes need to seek out that help. It doesn't mean that it's the end all be all. It doesn't always have to be like that, but you can't be so embarrassed that you don't ask for help. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that need help and need to have a candid conversation with themselves, first of all. And I always think that starts with cash flow. But, you know, look at your bank account and your calendar and they'll tell you what's important to you. Yeah. You know, I think about Yoda. You must unlearn what you have learned, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I did not know until my second year in the NFL that you could pay off debt. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I grew up in a family where more debt came when you paid something off. You paid something off, you got more debt. Or you refinanced your house and he went and bought a new car. And when I see people all the time, one of the words I hate is a remodel. Why are you remodeling something that works? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I don't care. Emily, you come to my house. I don't care what you think about my cupboards. I don't. And if you do care and bring it up in dinner, that's your last dinner at my house, period. Mm-hmm. I'm not spending money for you. So all of it comes from as well, the behaviors that we learn. And I talk so much about behaviors because your behaviors don't change the more money you make. I wrote an article, the five thing NFL players go broke on. It was one of the most read that I had written. And the whole point of it's funny to me because everybody wants to know what NFL players go broke on. Well, it's the same thing we go broke on, right? But that honest conversation you're talking about doesn't happen. The truth is we really don't talk about wealth. We don't talk about how to amass it. We don't talk about what's being smart with your money is. Saving 60 to $80 out of every 100 you make. Having a roommate, not getting the newest stuff. Because the second you get it that it's new, it's old. And I always talk about delay your purchases. And when we had a young cat at the Steelers and it breaks my heart, I told him, man, and I, and I was big on getting guys. I would literally go through, open a trade brokerage account with them and help them buy their first stock. And so one of these cats, I'm talking financial literacy with them. I'm like, do not go buy a new car. Do not go buy a new car. Do not go buy a new car. And he goes and buys a brand new four-door Porsche Panamera. He's making 535 that year, which you and I know is probably 270, maybe 320 at the most after taxes. He just bought a $120,000 car. And I always say, delay your purchases three months to three years. Well, three months later, that young man was fired from the Steelers, never played again in the NFL. He's got no 401k, no equity, no investments, no house with a Porsche Panamera with no winter tires driving back to Philly. Mm-hmm. Like this is all preventable. And it's just one of those things where we just need to be taught and we have to have these conversations about what does look like. And I always tell people, especially when I speak on financial literacy, don't ever feel bad for saying I can't afford it because 99% of the people you're talking to can't afford it either. So we just try and hide how much money we have and what we can buy. And wealthy people, the less you see, the more you have. So I don't have chains. Do I like chains? Hell yeah. Do I want a black diamond necklace? Hell yeah. Does that make me wealthier? Hell no. Mm -hmm. So what is my game? I want to be wealthy. And I want to make an impact. And what you and I know is by growing wealth and increasing your ownership, you also become an immovable object in the community. You can't pull away me from the Denver or Commerce City City Council meetings because I own property there. Mm-hmm. And the more that you're present, the more that you own, the more that we are seen, especially as minorities. 
100%. I couldn't agree more with that because I think that like that minority mindset, the minority money mindset is the instant gratification. Like you said, delay it, like delay it three months or three years. And that is so applicable in so many different areas of our life. But that instant gratification, like you said about the chains, I remember that. I remember wanting to have a chain, wanted to put some rims on my car. I ain't paid the, haven't paid the car off, but I need to snatch nope. the regular stereo out, put the new stereo in, yeah. get some beat in it and do all these things. And I'm sitting here, I'm still making payments on this, but I just put an extra two, three thousand dollars and all the extra stuff that I put on there, depending on how much I spent. On and a depreciating asset too. Exactly. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, but because I think in the minority money mindset, people want so bad to be recognized immediately that they don't yeah. care what that temporary or that it's that patience, being able to understand that I don't need to have it now. And then a lot of times people don't understand the story that it took for someone to get where they're at. They see the end result and they don't worry about the journey. And the journey is just as important as the end result, sometimes even more important because of what you learn on your way to being where you want to be are considered successful. Especially in finance. And you want to be seen with your money. You want to be seen as capable, especially as minorities, right? We want to, hey, don't treat me like I don't belong here. Mm -hmm. That's a very tough thing to overcome in terms of, hey, I got money now. I can go spend it. But the other thing, too, is what opportunities do we have to hear it? I mean, some of my first financial literacy was from the movie Baby Boy, Guns and Butter. You know, Mm -hmm. Ving Rhames is talking about guns and butter. You know, I had a family member a little bit younger than me. He's like, man, I just think that I'm going to die young. So he didn't save thinking he'd be 30. But when he became 30, he's like, what the hell did I do with all that money? It's like, well, yeah, man, you're going to grow up. So what do you want that money to do in 10 years for you? And just opening up that timeline to me is so much more important as well, because you think I got it. I got to spend it. No, you don't. You got it. Now you can spend it now or over the next 50 years. And those are different elements that we got to learn. Yeah. As there's more minorities getting into this financial space, financial services space, I think it's going to help. We just have to make sure that the way that they're helping is the right way. And that's why we want to make sure that we have more shows like this. I'm all for everybody getting their own show and being able to have a voice. And because I think there's a group of people that are ready to hear from that in particular person, if they can get the podcast started, do a blog, which by the way, I do want to have you, if you can send me that link to the five things that NFL players, yeah, yeah send that. I'll put that in these show notes so people can get that because I want to read it personally. So when you talk about leading by example or leading with an example, tell us about that. It's kind of self-explanatory, but I mean, give us your spin on it. Yeah, I mean, so many times in the NFL, I do talk leadership to a lot of different corporate clients and conferences, and everybody wants to know how people lead in the NFL. Well, the year we won the Super Bowl 50, we had a young cat who was making a lot of mistakes. We weren't going to get to the playoffs, let alone win a Super Bowl with him making these mistakes. I mean, players screamed at him on the field, coaches yelled at him on the sidelines, and you and I know that's not how you bring the best out of somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Even us as parents forget that sometimes. But instead of yelling at him and screaming at him and telling him what to do, I went up to him and I said, hey, man, when I was young like you, I used to make two to three mistakes a game. And then I started taking notes, copious amounts of notes. I took notes on everything I could. And I went from making two to three mistakes a game to two to three mistakes a year. And I walked away because I told him, I gave him an example because when he saw me, nine-year veteran who's starting as an offensive lineman and kicking ass on the field, he thought I had already always been doing that. But we lack context when we just lead by example. Nobody knows why you're doing what you're doing. But when you lead with an example, you give vulnerability that creates trust and opportunity building strong bonds. And then the very next day, that player had a notebook with five pencils and pens on the desk. And everybody been screaming at him for months, but nobody gave him an example of when they had to improve. So the biggest thing we can do as leaders is lead with an example. If you're going through something and you work for me, 
I'm going to tell you about a time that's close to that in my life to let you know it hasn't always been this easy for me. And when we lead with an example, we really give the context that creates lasting change. Yes. And it lets people into like, because sometimes people don't know your journey. Yeah. Sometimes people don't, you know, he didn't, like you said, he's seen you as a nine year vet, didn't understand that you did have some times where you needed to get some correction. But I think that's so good that you're saying that because I think about leading with an example or leading by example, as everybody's yelling at this young guy, no one's telling him what to do. And I think about that all the time. Like, me and my friend were actually talking about this the other day. One of my buddies, one of my childhood friends, we're talking about, uh, we're actually going to have a show on this too, about being a father when you were fatherless. And so yeah. that's going to be a deep one right there. Might pull some tears on that one. Heck yeah. But he said something to me in the when you're talking about lead with an example or lead by an example. And he was talking about an instant where his son, you know, his son was 11 and he didn't know how to ride a bike. And he said, I just got mad. I was like, how do you not know how to ride a bike? You know, you're 11 years old. You started to know how to ride a bike. And he said, then is what he said to me. Then he said, it hit me. I had never taught him how to do it. Yeah. I had never given him an example. I never led with that example. He said, we did it in one day. I taught him how to teach. He said, man, but that really just blew my mind about what I wasn't leading with. I wasn't right. showing him. I wasn't teaching him. And that show will be coming out. We're going to do that. Just from yeah, that, we had that one little conversation. And, we, and I was like, man, I said, man, I got to go home and apologize to my kids. <laughs> you know yeah. Hey, and that's a tough spot as a parent. It's a tough spot to be. So, you know, we ain't even touched on good old Notre Dame football. Like, what, <laughs> talk about that. I mean, you said that's God's team when we got on. Oh, here. yeah. Um, it's well known as God's team, you know, well known. <laughs> no doubt about it. You know what I think about when you said that? I think about that 30 for 30. Uh, what was it? Catholics and convicts? Yeah. Catholics versus convicts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because there's probably as many convicts on both teams at that time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But again, you know, creating the stage, creating the drama, creating the prize fight, so to speak. I mean, that's a skill and Notre Dame did it, you know? So talk to us a little bit about that experience. I mean, I want to hear about it. I want to hear a little bit about what you can say. Talk to us a little bit about Notre Dame football. Well, you know, even going to Notre Dame as a multiracial kid from St. Paul, I saw wealth for the first time. And it came in a funny way. One of my doormates, because you have to stay in dorms there at Notre Dame for the first three years. He was like, hey, man, I'm going to the grocery store. You want to come with? I'm like, yeah. He grabs his keys and we're walking. And all of a sudden he walks next to this BMW with no tents on the window. I'm like, dude, are we about to steal a car? But I'm kind of shocked at myself. I didn't leave at that point. But then he just unlocks it. I'm like, oh, he owns this car. And mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, my parents got me this car when I got into Notre Dame. No tents on the windows, no rims, no subwoofers. And then I started seeing game day. You'd see a Rolls Royce, but it was a 70, 80-year-old man getting out, getting a round of golf in before the game and stuff. I'm like, wow. So I really learned a lot, and especially when I got recruited in Notre Dame. I was recruited by Tyrone Willingham, mm-hmm. who still to this day is a mentor to me. And so to be around such an enormously respected institution to go to class among some of the brightest people in our country and to compete against the absolute best like Notre Dame does on the field, playing USC, Michigan, playing these teams that they play every year. This year's slated to play Clemson. I really learned how much I can compete at so many levels of my life. I can compete in the classroom and then compete on the field. And it just opened my whole world. People would say things like, yeah, we're going to go to our summer home. And I'm like, what is a summer home? What is that? Well, my dad's a dentist and he was in the military and he saved his money. So we have a beach house that we go to every summer. Okay. It's like one of those things where I'm just learning so much because you had cabins, people had cabins in Minnesota, but they weren't lake homes with outdoor showers and the vacation cars. So I just learned about what wealth looks like, what competition looks like. 
and how I could really hold myself to a higher standard and then surpass it time after time again. I think that is so important because if you don't see things like that, especially when they come from different backgrounds. You know, you're from St. Paul and we know everything that's been going on in Minnesota. And I'm talking to my wife about this police officers and not to get on that, but just like you had so many experiences that you got from going to college. Yes. Learning about different people, learning about different culture, learning about money. You know what I mean? Just like stuff that you wouldn't never never have caught. And this is just a thing I'm saying. If you're starting a career in a job like police, when you're meeting all kinds of different people and you haven't had any exposure to anything outside of the little world that you grew up in, you're not prepared for that job at all. No. So I think that going to school like you did, I mean, you don't, not all the education you get is going to come from that, but I think the life education that you get from going to school is so impactful, man. And and that's awesome. So I do got to ask you this though, because I'm just curious. So which was a bigger game, Michigan or USC? Man, USC, because Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart were there at the time and Michigan, we ended up beating them. I think they were number three team in the country at the time. We went back and forth with them, but we also traveled a lot. I mean, talk about the experiences. When you play USC at Notre Dame, you go to LA, you're staying at the Ritz. (laughs) I mean, we ain't talking about La Quinta. I didn't even know how to spell Ritz. I called it Ritz's the first time. Mm -hmm. I said, what is the Ritz's hotel? They're like, it's the Ritz, Ryan. And you know, you've got waterfalls outside your windows and koi fish ponds. And I'm like, and then and then you just see regular people staying there. Like, that's where they stay when they go to L.A., you know? So, yeah. um, but USC, and I got recruited by USC too, Michigan as well. But I just, I wanted to kind of prove my decision right every time we played USC. And unfortunately, we never beat them. The closest we got was that Bush push game. And mm-hmm. fourth and nine, our defensive coordinator called the zero blitz and we lost. I remember that game. I do remember that game. Gosh, we talk football all day. I know I, I love <laughs> football, man. I'm a huge football nut. What about the... You said you got a Monday night radio show. Yeah, so I, well, I do some Monday night football for Westwood One. So I did the sidelines for the Steelers-Bengals Monday night game and Seattle-Minnesota Monday night game last year. And it was fun because to go back to the Steelers, you know, Mike Tomlin, they said, usually doesn't talk to the radio analyst sideline person. And they said, we told him you were there. And he said, hey, Ryan can get whatever he wants. And so I talked to Coach Tomlin at halftime, got some great insight. And then some of the coaches we won the Super Bowl with were on the Bengals staff. And so I got some insight from them as well. And then when I went to the Seattle game, not only got to meet some cool people, but also got to talk with my coaches, Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennison, who were with me at the Broncos when we won the Super Bowl. And of course, they were both with me as well when I was in Houston three years prior. So it's so cool to go to a place without all that pressure to go back to an NFL stadium, walk through a locker room, walk through the entryway and be like, I'm not playing today. I ain't got to worry about giving up sacks. I don't got to worry about tickets. I'm just working, man. They're paying me to be here. It was really an awesome experience. That's cool, man. You've had a very, very good, well-rounded experience with football and like being able to go through the financial stuff that you learned, learning about the mindset stuff. And we didn't, I don't know how much we got into the book. I know you said it was a bestseller. Yeah. I mean, I want to just touch on it a little bit so we can get the listeners a little tease. We will put a link to that too, so we can make sure that they get that. But talk to us a little bit about the book and then we'll wrap it up here in a sec. Winning the Super Bowl, you realize everything that you believed about yourself comes true for other people. I believe that the work and sacrifice I was making mattered and was different. I believed I was able to help a team win a championship. And I was right. Everyone else was wrong. And it's not about everybody else. It's about that feeling that every sacrifice was worth it. I couldn't tell you if it was working out at 8 a.m. running 18 400s the day after I graduated high school, at, you know, which is very different than many other people's high school graduation morning after stories. I couldn't tell you if it was the yoga I did for 15 years. I couldn't tell you if it was asking a couple of extra questions the meeting before the game that helped us win the Super Bowl and me become a champion. But it was all worth it. And I want people to have that moment in their life. And when I look back at my career, I had teammates, coaches even, 
that doubted my ability. And I had to overcome that. And we do not have enough voices in our world that encourage us to go for our dreams, to encourage us after a failure. Most time in failure, people are like, well, it means it shouldn't have happened. Like, no, I got to go back and work harder. I got to find something new to do. So I got to be able to encourage others that I don't get to speak to, that, that we don't get to hear on podcasts and, and these types of conversations, but also talk about my failures. I mean, we talk about failure less than we talk about sex, and yet it's the most common thread in every success story. So I talked about how I failed. I got fired from the Broncos for being arrogant and unwilling, and I had to learn. I can ask questions. I can make sure this is the new page. I can make sure I never lose my job again because of my arrogance and unwillingness. I can do something extra. I can recognize distractions. I mean, after we won the AFC championship, Emlyn, I got a call from somebody I hadn't talked to three years and they were like, hey, I want to see if you could come by my kid's kindergarten to get them excited for the Super Bowl tomorrow. No, that's not my responsibility. You know what I mean? I had over 200 requests for tickets to the game. I didn't bring my own kid. That's $1,800 a ticket. They were too young to remember. And so I just wanted to encourage people not only to believe in yourself and choose your mindset, but when you do so, you are going to be a leader. You're going to look different, sound different. You're going to react and take action quicker after failure because you're looking at what you can do instead of what happened. And be okay with that. When you choose your mindset, you're hell-bent on winning or achieving your goal. You're going to scare the shit out of a lot of people who are comfortable in life. What Mike Tomlin at the Steelers calls comfort seekers. Don't worry about those people. Don't worry about... As they say in the Queen song, no time for losers for we are the champions. And I'm not talking about people who need your help. There are a lot of losers in life that didn't take the opportunity, that let their failures be their success. And that does not have to be you. And so I wrote Mindset for Mastery to encourage others to choose their mindset, overcome obstacles, know that that's a common thing to fail in success, and then to go out there and celebrate every win you can. Love it. We will have the link to that book and I will be reading it very, very quickly. I'll send you one, my man. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. As you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast and we are changing the complexion of wealth. With that, what motivates you and inspires you to continue to grow and learn? To continue, what motivates me is the ability to be in meetings and be in places where people don't expect me to be. Google brought me in to speak about financial literacy. And I started with, I first like to congratulate Google for bringing in a black millionaire to talk about money. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a different conversation. But I also want to have longevity. I worked my ass off from 14 to 32. I want to retire. I want to live and be in retirement. And I also want to be a great resource for other people because there's enough pie for everybody to eat. And I've gotten my couple of slices, but I want people to take advantage of the opportunity I want more people, specifically people that look like you and I, to know the power that they have in their purchases and their savings. And I want to continue to baffle white bankers everywhere I look when I come in with money and equity, speaking the language of finance and wealth, because we all have that opportunity and we're all deserving of making the most of our dollar. 100%. Are you dropping jail? I don't even got nothing to say after that. We just (laughs) go on to the next one. Do you think education plays a big part in wealth building? Huge. And that's why I'm a part of Economic Literacy Colorado. I'm on their board because I've never used the quadratic formula in life. Yes, I was in the NFL, but my law friends never used it in law. I can tell you what FOIL means. First, outside, inside, last. Why didn't I get told about interest rates? How come I didn't get told about compound interest? How come I didn't get told to just own the stocks that you buy? It's one of the things I tell people, own what you buy. If you've got Nike shoes on and you're driving a Ford on the way to Target, but stopping at Starbucks, own all those stocks. And you would be surprised, Emma, maybe you wouldn't be, but I've had tears, especially from the minority youth that I speak to, tears in their eyes. One man stood up in a My Brother's Keeper meeting and said, you mean I can buy stock? Yeah, man. Yes, you can. And you should. 
because every $100 invested before the age of 25 is $30,000 when you're 65. Why aren't we told that in school? Why am I learning the quadratic formula, but not that? I'm not saying we don't have to learn the quadratic formula, but let's put some context into what we're really going to be using. You know, let's talk about buying a duplex over a house. I got a friend who comes to me, he's like, Ryan, I want to buy a house. What do I need to know? I said, you're 28. You got no wife, no kids. You need to buy a duplex. Forget a house, you know? And these are the kinds of lessons that create ownership, that increase education and increase civic engagement in our communities and make us safer. Mm -hmm. Yes. Very, very good points. Because once you purchase that property, now you're worried about what's going on in the city. Yeah. Now you're engaged if they're going to raise the property taxes, right? Now you're engaged if you're talking about setting a moratorium on evictions. You can be on other sides of that. You can be, hey, I'm, I'm okay with that. Or you can't be. But let me tell you something else. The wealthy people are doing it. The wealthy people are in this game. And if you really want to create security for yourself and your family, financial education is an absolute must. Man, you're killing these, bro. You're killing these <laughs> questions. You must have like a radio show or something. Tell you, man. Get the info. <laughs> hey, uh, how has your family supported you on this journey? That's one thing that I like to hear about. But talking about the family, how they've been there with you during this. Well, I love that you asked that, man, because a couple of three different points I'll make. My father, my wife, and then my kids. My father, my first financial literacy lesson, we're at the grocery store. I must have been six, maybe seven. And we're at the conveyor belt and I put on a Snickers. My dad goes, what you doing? So well, I want a Snickers. Goes, do you have any Snicker money? To no, but you do. Mm-hmm. He grabs it, puts it back, grabs a Milky Way. I said, what are you doing? I want a Snickers. He goes, well, I got Milky Way money. And I was like, man, dog, if I don't have some Snickers mm-hmm. money next time I come to the store, you know, that was kind of my first get your own moment. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of my wife, man, I'm so glad she doesn't need two cars. She doesn't need to have a Mercedes G wagon or whatever. She would come to me like, Ryan, am I underdressed at these games? A lot of ladies have on you know, $2,000 heels with a $5,000 purse. And I just, I don't have that. Do I need to? I'm like, hell no, you don't need to. Because I knew over half of them cats are going to be broke. And half of those ladies are leaving their men when that money stops. So my wife has been great in terms of one, her willingness not to have the flash and her willingness to create long-term wealth that provides security for our children. And she's also learned too. So I tell her she's a real estate mogul. And, you know, I tell her there's nothing sexier than when you're talking money and interest rates. You know what I'm saying? Because it really is a partnership. And I know you talk about that a lot. And in fact, guests talk about that. And that's probably the number one thing I see in the NFL. Wives usually outspending their husbands or demanding a life that they don't really need. It doesn't really create wealth because most of us don't know what that is. And then lastly, my kids, hey, man, you know, we go to a store. They're like, hey, I want a toy. You got money for it? No, but you do. Oh, well, you get your money. You can spend it on whatever you want. So they sold. We did a little pop can soda thing. And the ice cream truck came around after. They'd made, I think it was $32 a piece. And so the ice cream truck came and said, Dad, can we get ice cream? So you got your wallet? And they were like, we do. And they ran in and got their wallet. And just the look on their face from counting out the money and paying for their ice cream, I empowered them instead of enabled them. And that's something that I really, really hope more parents are doing. Empower your children with money instead of enabling them. That's so good right there. I just think about, we had a conversation with my daughter and I, middle daughter, she wanted to start a business. So I said, all right, let's talk about it. So she goes ahead and puts all the stuff down. So those little moments like that are always, 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 always special. Heck yeah. If you would offer a piece of advice to our listeners today, like as a parting gift, what would that advice be? My money does not care about you and your money should not care about me. Never spend money thinking about other people. You and I, Emlyn, we don't know what kind of cars we drive. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Focus on the things that matter. Do not spend your money for other people. That's where people go broke. And know the difference between price and cost. 
the price of that new iPhone may be $1,000, but the cost of that includes your living expenses, insurance payments, gas payments, entertainment savings. Well, now that phone, $3,200. Know the difference between price and cost. So next time you go to the store, look at the price of something and estimate the cost of it based on your budget plus that price. That's solid, bro. That right there, I'm going to start telling that to my clients. They'll know where I got it from when they hear this. Heck yeah. Ryan, it's an absolute pleasure, man, having you on, just chopping it up with you. I appreciate you, everything that you're doing. We definitely got to chop it up more and collab on some more things. If people want to get more of Ryan Harris and the work that you're doing, what social medias are you active on and where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I got my website, RyanHarris68.com. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Emlyn, man, I just want to tell you, you know, you're a leader in this world for many of us. And you bring in conversations we all want to have. And I just thank you for taking the time out of your day and your skill set to bring these conversations to us. And I really applaud the change that you're making, lasting change through talking about money and relationships. It's really awesome. Thank you, man. Like I said, that means a lot coming from you. I'm humbled that you would say those nice things about me. You know, I hope I just I hope we can keep going, keep spreading the good word and ultimately changing the complexion of wealth. All day. Let's do it. Nice. This is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly. Today, joined with Ryan Harris, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.